Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome to my one year anniversary of the podcast. I made it. We're going to have a great time today. But first, as promised, I am going to feature one of the songs that I recorded for my new album today. This one is called The Healing Has Begun. Enjoy. Yeah, 
hope that you are blessed by that song. It's one of my favorites. I will have another song for you next week. We're going to do the anniversary show in two parts because there's a lot of guests. <laughs> I'm going to feature highlights from all of my fantastic guests, clips of your favorite episodes based on the stats from Blueberry. A special shout out to Blueberry, by the way, for being a great podcast host. And as always in the show notes, I have discount codes for everyone. And I'm giving away my guest books to those of you who share this podcast episode or any other episode on social media and tell me what your takeaway is from your favorite guest. So you'll get any digital copy or physical copy of a book offered by any of my guests or a music download from a musical guest. So be sure to share your favorites. So this applies to the audio podcast or on YouTube. Now I noticed that there are 10 of you who listen to the podcast every week, the diehards. Now, if you are one of those 10 that have listened from the beginning, I want to hear from you. There may be a prize in it for you. I wanna thank all of my fantastic guests who made this year so successful. Every one of you knocked it out of the park. And you are welcome to come back on the show anytime with any new products or something new that you'd like to share with us. It was really a challenge to choose the short clips from the guests. And it's very hard to name my favorites. It's like naming your favorite kid, right? All the guests brought so much value and inspiration. And if you're new to the podcast, this is a great time to listen because you will get a sampling of all of the guests and it will encourage you to go listen to the full length version of the episode. Now I tried to keep the clips in its proper context, but they are shortened for time's sake. These are not in any particular order, by the way. So let's get the celebration started, shall we? On episode 32, we have Dr. Joe Martin, who will knock your socks off. If you are a Christian man, you've got to check out Dr. Joe's ministry. He was raised in the projects in Florida suffered all kinds of abuse and violence, watched many of his young friends die. He managed to escape that life, go to college, graduate at the top of his class, become a professor, an author. He got a wife and kids. He became wealthy at a very young age. And then he lost it all. It was really hard to pick one clip from our conversation He's got nine books on his store, on his website. I recommend Man Accomplished, but I will give away 
any of his books of your choosing for sharing this episode. So listen to what Dr. Joe has to say. Well, um, ours is famous for two things. If you're over the age of 40, um, Liberty City is famous for uh, a notorious rap group called Two Live Crew. (laughs) If they're under the age of 40, they know about us because of this, another notorious thing called this game called Grand Theft Auto. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and so when they make a, a video game about the city where you were born and raised, that's not usually a good thing. <laughs> and so it's not about what most people think of Miami when they think of South Beach to celebrities. I never even saw the beach growing up as a kid I was in my neighborhood. And it was so isolated for me, even though it was a huge inner city ghetto, you're talking about five high schools, two malls. I'd never met a white child till I was 12. But my mom was 16 years old when she had me as a teenager. And then a year and 27 days after that, she had my sister um, um, a a year later. So by the time she was 17 years old, Diana, she had two children and she had to drop out of high school to take care of us. My dad, after that second child, decided he didn't want to have anything to do with this. So he kind of bowed out and he left. So my mom had two kids at the age of 17 a high school dropout. My mom ended up going into a real deep, dark depression. And this mother became um, um, an alcoholic, said, wow, you know, she kind of checked out, even though we were physically still there. And if she wasn't, um, if she wasn't drunk, she would be a pretty decent mother. But she was also an angry person when she drank. And so Mm -hmm. she would come physically abusive, sometimes verbally, a lot of times verbally abusive, but sometimes occasionally physically abusive. But she wasn't always that way. She just, when that alcohol got in her system, it just, she was trying to deal with her demons. And as a child, I didn't understand that that's what she was going through. But I just thought, wow, she's been a bad mom. But I didn't realize that I was older. Oh, wow. She was just hanging on by a thread trying to take mm-hmm. care of us. But during her good days, um, she decided that I needed a male role model in my life. And so she recruited a family member. Um, and her criteria for what she thought was a good male role model was a person who did not, who had a job, who was incar- who weren't incarcerated. You know, I grew up, I grew up around a lot of crime and um, drug activity. So my mom didn't want me to have anything to do with that. So she recruited a family member who was just, she thought was the opposite of that. And to his credit, this man took better care of me than she, she did because he did have a job. He, he wasn't drinking and abusing alcohol, at least at the time. And this man um, took care of me, took me under his wing and, and provided for me, but he was prepping me. I didn't know at the time he was prepping me as a 12 year old. And for three years, he abused me physically and sexually. I was about to leave this out because I said, well, I don't have time to talk about that. By the time I reached the age of 16, I had um, buried six of my friends and watched six of my friends murdered. And it's one thing to go to one funeral. Um, but it's nothing when you witness the murder of your friends and then you go to six funerals and all the caskets, caskets are small. It just does something on you internally. And I wasn't getting therapy or counseling for any of this. It was just me suppressing it and trying Mm -hmm. to um, ignore it and believing that this is just normal. Every kid goes through this and it had me questioning everything about my life. This man who abused me had me question my masculinity, my friends, um, dying at the, um, before I was age of 16 had me question my mortality. Most kids just wanted to grow up and be athletes and entertainers. They would ask me, little Joe, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I used to say, and I, I meant it, I said alive. Wow. I thought if I just made it to 18, I did something monumental because I never saw my kids, my friends make it to 18 years old. And so mm-hmm. at least my closest friends, 
And so I, there's a lot of stuff going on in my head. And because of that, I just prayed to God that I would just make it out of Liberty City because I was suicidal. It got really bad when I was 16, when I was about to take my own life. Wow. But you got, you got married, you bought a house, you started a family, you're living this dream lifestyle. And then it all came crashing down. Yeah. That was, that was the ruined part. And people, when they always want to know how I was able to make it out of the projects to becoming a professor and all this other stuff, I said, the more um, fascinating part of that story is not how I made it out, but how did I get it all so fast and lose it all just as fast? Because yes. I had it all by the time I reached the age of 30, but I lost it all by the time I reached the age of 40. And what the, and the underlining reason I would say is because I tried to outrun my past without healing from my past. You didn't do um, it. When I got married at 22, I never told my my wife, my ex-wife now, about the abuse. I never told about. And now I don't want to tell anybody about it. But when I finally hit rock bottom and realized that God was the rock at the bottom, then I said, okay, God, I'm back. I'm all in. But this time, I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to have community around me. And I've been walking in that ever since. But I like that rock at the bottom. He is yeah. the rock at the bottom. So tell them about, about some of your resources. Yeah, I, I'll share with you um, uh, quickly kind of what we do, and I'm going to give them a free resource that they definitely have to check out. Um, it's a video. It's about a 30 to a 33-minute video, and it's called The Five Critical Things Every Kingdom Man Needs to Succeed in His Life. And it's basically what our ministry is built on, these five things. And this video would kind of explain to you how important those five things are. And I'll kind of touch on them a little bit, but the video will do a lot better job than I explain it. But the resource, if they want to find out, they just go to rmcfree.com, rmcfree.com, and they'll get access to that video. Um, it's kind of like a short masterclass, and they'll get that. But basically what we do is our ministry, we help men win at what matters and frustrates them the most. As husbands, as fathers, as spiritual leaders in their home. And what we do is we provide and we help them by providing them with um, community with a brotherhood and community of men. We provide that with connection by having an inner circle of guys in their life who, and we provide them with coaches and mentors who will pour into the life. I told you, I got six of them. We provide them with counseling to help them. These are part of the pillars and it's all on a Christ centered focus. And so if they want to find out more, they can always visit our website at realmenconnect.com and it, it links them to everything that we have. He is amazing. Now, our next guest was on episode 33 and 34. That was a two-part episode. Pastor L. Deschanel. We talked about so many great things. He has suffered bullying, abuse from churches. He has pastored for so many years. And he's honest about his mental health struggles. He is a pastor of a very unique ministry on Twitch that has just flourished. He has built a safe place for gamers to come and hear about Jesus, the Bible, and talk about life's questions and struggles. He has devotionals, fun stuff. He does captioning for Farside Comics. The question of the day. He has a mentoring program, and we watch him play games, family-friendly games. 
I haven't played video games since Atari days, but I come to listen. When I join in the community on Twitch and his Discord for the community, I won't steal his thunder. So here's Pastor Al talking about his ministry. Now, I don't want to um, end our time together without talking about your new ministry, your, <laughs> your, your gaming ministry that has just been flourishing. Uh, I'm not a gamer at all. But, uh, I mean, the last time I played a video game was, uh, yeah, we're about the same age. So um, I was on an Atari in grade school, and I played Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Frogger, and Pong. So if you had any of those games, I could play with you. But um, they that, have made some pretty, They've made some pretty sick versions of Pong. <laughs> Tell you what. You, you, they have made some hardcore 3D, fully immersive versions of Pong. So it's, 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 uh, you, you might, you might have changed your world. You go get a VR set and start playing Pong, but the, yeah. So the, I'll tell you what the right now in, in my life, God is doing such a weird thing that I never would have thought. Like I said, I, I, God has never given me a job with a resume. So a little while back, uh, I, this, the church I was at, I was at for seven years and, uh, it came to sort of a, I don't want to say a natural end, but it came to an end because COVID hit. We ran out of money, bunch of people in the church, you know, it, it just became, it just, then they went, you know what? We can't renew your contract. We just can't. And so uh, I ended up resigning. They gave me a package. We, we move on and I didn't know what to do with myself. I started praying about it, asking God about it. What am I going to do? And long story short, uh, the podcast that I was, that I was doing, I converted from a sermon podcast into what you hear now. People started listening to it, actually liking it. I wanted to figure out a way that I could do an interactive thing with it. How do I get questions and answers and things like that? So I can meet the people that are listening. Well, that led me to live streaming on YouTube. Well, okay. What's the better platform for live streaming? Well, it's Twitch. Twitch is designed for live streaming. Okay, cool. What is, what is that? And God started to weave this tapestry in my heart that I would never have ever seen before where I started to develop a, a love for the people on Twitch, a desire to minister to them, an understanding of how lonely and afraid and addicted and dark a lot of the lives of these people who are, who are gamers and who are streamers and who are watching these gamers and streamers online, because I mean, you guys know if, if you, you all probably have a friend who is, who doesn't leave their house, is addicted to the internet, yeah. is constantly only thinks about video games, is staring at the, the screen all the time, and uh, their life isn't the nicest of life. Well, imagine that, but times 140 million. So they, th there's this place called Twitch that is full of lost souls that have almost no Christian representation. Mm -hmm. You can count the amount of people that are serving these people uh, that are actually trained like ministers on one hand. 140 million people five trained missionaries. There are a lot of really cool Christian people on there that are trying to give a, you know, po positive atmosphere. There's maybe a couple thousand, but when it comes to actual people that are choosing to be on there to minister to those who are there to bring the gospel to them, to become, to build a faith community with them involved, it's like five, uh, at least the, all the ones I've ever seen. So maybe it's 10, <laughs> but there's not many. And so as God started knitting this thing to my heart and starting to give me a, 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 give me a heart for these people, I started to explore 
what that would look like. And so I started to see what it would be like to Twitch, see what it'd be like to live stream. Then I started looking to gaming and then I started look, figuring out what discord was. I started figuring out how can I do this? And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I've got people affirming me. Al, we heard you're doing this thing. That is really cool. This is exactly what you should be doing. Hey, Al, how can I help? Hey, here's, here's a little bit of money to help out. Hey, can I buy you some free games? You, you should do this. Continue. Uh, That's pretty good. And uh, I'm like, holy mackerel. Are you? And I'm like, honestly, it's like, are you kidding God right now? You want me, a 43-year-old preacher who has been on stage, not playing games, only reading books for 20 years, to come and be a video game minister on line? Uh, I'll try, you know? So and cool. so, but God has been opening doors. He's been connecting me with people. He's been providing in miraculous ways. And so I'm going, you know what? If this is what God wants me to do, I'll do it with my whole heart. So I spend sometimes 15, 16 hours a day just working on this thing. You really can spend a lot of time when you're trying to build this thing up. So I've had, I've got a bunch of followers, not very many, but uh, more than more than I thought I would. Some subs, uh, yeah. some games, some things. And I'm throwing everything at the wall to try to make it grow. And you, are I you am, kids gamers at all? Nope. No, my my. I mean, my son has a computer and he he plays the occasional game, but gaming was never a big part of our our life. We're mm -hmm. we like movies, and yeah. so gaming was never a thing. And like, I never grew up as a gamer. What I what I am is I'm I'm a media consumer, and so I like watching people play video games. I liked watching people go through the let's plays and and going all through the the whatever levels and seeing the funny stuff and watching them play Minecraft. But I'd never got the mouse and did it myself, and so now I am on the other end of the the, the monitor. And it's, it's a challenge. The, the hard part for me really is the video game part. I can sit there and talk to anybody for as long as you want. I can do all the counseling and community building and all the technology and all the rest of that stuff. But when it comes down to it, the, the playing the video games and making that interesting, that's the most challenging part for me. Uh, it's, it's tough uh, to do that part because you're not playing video games for an hour. You're playing video games for four or five. Sometimes if you'd want to do it right, eight straight. Wow. which is work believe it or not and then you have to edit the videos and then you have to do the social media and you have to connect on discord and you have to figure out how you can counsel some of these people that are going through stuff and you got to be reactive to the chat for eight hours and you got to be winsome and interesting and then you got to do uh the sound editing and i still got to do my podcast and you know like it's it is so much work but it is self-motivating because god is in it God I mean, is in it. I'm seeing you, Didn't you get a job offer somewhere in, in, in... Oh, that was a wild story. Yeah. Okay, you, I, I don't know how long you want to go, but yeah, I had this really weird thing happen where I, you know, I, I finally, of course, my wife is like, could you please send resumes places? You know, I, I know that God wants you to do some stuff, but tell you what, maybe he wants you to do a part-time. How about we get healthcare and maybe some groceries? Uh, would that be okay? And so I sent resumes around and I found this really cool job. It was for a nonprofit that uh, rescues parrots, you know, like the bird, probably mm -hmm. cracker mm -hmm. parrots. They, uh, <laughs> I went through the interview process. They really liked me. I went through another interview process. They really liked me. And at the end, they sat me down and they took, well, they put me on zoom and they put me on, uh, the video. And she said, and she says to me, Al, we want to hire you. You are exactly what we're looking for. You have all the skills we're looking for. Your proposal was amazing. We cannot in good conscience hire you. You clearly have a passion for ministry. And it would be wrong 
for us to take you away from that. So as much as we want to hire you, you need to pursue what, what is on your heart. And I'm like, did a secular organization just tell me to go, go trust God? (laughs) Did they just tell me to go, Al, stop trying to be, go another way and go listen to God. Okay. I guess if God's going to start talking through Balaam's donkey, I bet I should probably start listening, you know? That's so awesome. That was just confirmation, wasn't it? I mean, uh, well, it's certainly, I mean, on. it's not, I still struggle with self, with the self doubt and still, it's still such an insane thing to try to do. Uh, but every day uh, I get another piece of confirmation that God is in it, that something cool is happening. There are people on the other end that are captivated by the idea of, think about it. There are 140 million people that will never cross the door of your church, that will never mm-hmm. walk through the doors of any ministry you lay before them. They are not in the coffee shops. They are not at the park. You will not meet them at the library. They do not go there. Okay. You will never come across them. There's no level of invitation you can give to get them out. And they do not trust you. How do you minister to those people? Right. Right. The only way is to go to where they are. And where are they? They're online. Yes. And the only way they're going to talk to you is if you're doing what is interesting to them and being able to make a bridge to the gospel. That's what God called me to do. And as soon as people start picking up that that vision of these people are inviting a pastor, inviting an evangelist into their home because he's interested in watching Minecraft or playing some stupid game, and he's able to tell them about God and get them connected to a Discord where there's a bunch more Christians and they, they're loving each other and suddenly they're hearing the gospel. That's that's a thing that can happen. And they get all excited and they, and they, and they say, do it. Absolutely. Check out my, check out my stuff. Uh, go to X Ninja, X T I A N N I N J A Christian Ninja on Twitch on everywhere. Literally all the, all the social media, just look me up. I'm sure there'll be a link in some of the podcast area and uh, watch the video that you find on my YouTube page. That's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, you go to my YouTube channel and you'll see a video there where I explain my heart what I think God has called me to do and why it's important. And if it's something that kind of tweaks your interest and, and, and you want to help contact me and let's see if we can uh, see what work together to partner to see if we can serve some of these people on Twitch. So pastor Al has a lot of books on his website. The art of the Christian Ninja. A lot of books on his website are free. If you want the print copy, they're available on Amazon. Again, I will send you a copy of whichever book you want. Our next guest was from episode 28, Laura Paget. Now she is a storyteller, a dancer, and a survivor. I so enjoyed talking with her and reminiscing about dance. She has a painful past that she shares about her relationship with her mother, and struggling with forgiveness. Her podcast is called Living What You're Given. She is 70 years young. She has a couple books on her website, laurelpaget.com. Uh, one called Jesus in Shorts. That's, that's a great title, isn't it? And... Dolores liked the river. The clip I chose for her was the story of how she won the gold medal at the Highland Games. This is great. Uh, Dance is very spiritual, I think. Mm -hmm. 
I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think the other thing about dance for me was the body image in this particular part of the world. I don't know if I can't say that it's true everywhere. I haven't lived anywhere but the United States. But what I have noticed is we are so obsessed with a certain idea of what body looks like. And that being told to you as a young person, um, a girl, I'm going to have to say it's a girl. I, I was never a boy. And so having that just sort of come to you through message after message put put me into a place where I really didn't believe my body was an acceptable part of me. Mm. And coming into the holy, moving into the holy, which was the first book I wrote, it's, it's about uh, sacred dance and the research that had been done on, on the people, even people like Isadora Duncan and people like that who were experimenting with sacred dance. The freedom to now take your body as well as your soul and your mind and your heart into the presence of God for the purpose of praise, that freed me to say, hey, I'm not so bad. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, <laughs> I always tell my dancers, um, because I hear a lot of that from especially lady dancers who say, well, you know, I, I didn't have the ballet body and my feet are big and my tush is a little bit this, or I'm too heavy or I'm too skinny or whatever. Mm. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. God has your picture on his refrigerator. And to him, you are on point. To him, you are a metalist. And it doesn't matter if you can do the steps well, because art does not live in the feet. Art lives in the heart. And that's Amen. for him. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Learn tap dance and clogging. I never did uh, jazz very much, but I did tap dance. I did clogging. But my love was Irish. My love was Irish. And mm. I went on to do many performances, many competitions between 45 and 60. And in my, I'm going to say mid-50s, I medaled. I took a gold medal in uh, Irish Step Dance at the Highland Games in Estes Park. Oh, wow. So anybody who's familiar, I know, right? And there were lots of people who said, oh. She's the only reason she got it is because she's old enough to buy the beer what? for the judge. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very competitive, but I think they were teasing me, but I worked hard. I had a studio in my basement. My husband built me a studio with the mirrors and the suspended floors. Mm -hmm. And I worked, worked, worked. And I walked off that day with the gold. And I'll tell you, that was my last competition. And, but it was not my last performance. I performed for many years after that. And I taught. So do you have your medal with you? I have it tucked away somewhere in a drawer. Oh. No. Nope. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to show it to you because <laughs> I don't know where the oh. thing is. I've never and, seen a real medal before. It, so yeah, I it's a gold it. medal. And it's it's and I, gosh, you know, uh, every now and then I, I put the piece up at St. Patrick's Day that I wrote called Silver and Gold. Uh, about winning that gold medal and what it took to get there as a 50-something-year-old woman. And, mm. uh, oh, my goodness, the stereotypical stuff and the giggling and the, <clears throat> uh, 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 look at her, she's old, and walking off that gold. And um, I 
the adjudicator said to me that the judge said something that I, I've always taught my dancers. And that is, she said, do you know why you got the gold? And I said, no, I really didn't believe I deserved it either. And she said, well, when all merits are equal and everybody's performing the techniques well, it's hard for a judge to make a decision on the gold. But she said, you know, when it all comes down and everything's equal merit-wise, the medal goes to the one that will dance her heart. She said, the difference between the silver and gold is that some people do the dance and some people are the dance. Mm, and today, yes. you are the dance. And that, my friend, is the gold. That is such a satisfying story. I love it. It's just awesome. So we've established that you don't have to have a perfect ballerina body type no. to enjoy dancing. No. Mm -mm. Get out there and dance or dance, dance in your room, dance in your home, dance in the backyard. Um, and we have a lot of fellow fellow um, hurt people, survivors yes. of trauma. Yeah. And so what is your best advice for those to, mm. to those that have pain, such as the kind of pain that you have? How can dance help them to heal in their life? If that is an avenue that they choose for healing, I say, first of all, you know this as well as I do, any type of psychological, physical, um, emotional, spiritual wounds must be dealt with, I believe, with help. Uh, support groups, as you and I have talked about. Uh, for, for me, it was counseling, too, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to see the reality because our reality skewed. Mine was skewed, let me say it that way. And to reach out for the help. And then if it is something that you feel you want to do, there are many different ways to do it. Prayer, of course, on your knees, if you can. That's, that's a movement of, of healing. And I would just say, for me, all I can speak to is my experience, that when I have actually danced the Psalms, when I have danced the Lord's Prayer, mm -hmm. when I have danced El Shaddai, Lord of the Dance, the, the, the original Lord of the Dance, not, not the Lord of the Dance that we see on stage, although that's a wonderful production, but the story of it. It brought me so close to the source of my life that my wounds, I could own and walk forward and offer to him. Mm. And together we could dance it. I don't know if that's going to help everybody, but I know that's what he did with me. And, and I was 40 before I became really, in my 40s, before I really became a dancer. And taking me to Irish step dance that he did, which was amazing. It was amazing because those were the roots of the woman who had wounded me, my mom. And once I fell in love with that, I again fell in love with her. And today I can unequivocally say, I love that woman. Amazing. I love her so much. And my dad too. Our next guest is from episode 20. Pastor Kyle Fox. 
it is really difficult to find a good church. I invited my own pastor to come on the show to talk about what the characteristics of a healthy church are, what to look for, some red flags to be aware of. And we covered a lot of topics, culture, dress, qualifications of leadership, missions, music, standards, how to interpret the Bible, and more. I really hope that you go and listen to his episode because he gave a lot of wise advice. Our church isn't perfect, but we have a pastor and leadership who are passionate about Jesus and God's word and reaching the community for Christ. So here's a highlight of our conversation that I really liked. Now, what I appreciate about your sermons is you preach about sin and you don't apologize for it. You preach about repenting from sin in our lives. But you also balance that by extending grace and love to people who are struggling. And first, I think, I think the gospel message just balances that. When you, when you preach the simple and basic message of the gospel, I think you have the balance of you're a sinner. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you were dead in your trespasses, but now you're made alive in Christ. Uh, is is the balance is recognizing that we are sinners and yet we're also incredibly loved and pursued by the God who created us and uh, so anytime you know you have to make sure you have the conviction of them consistently proclaiming that gospel and you'll be balanced uh, that's just the way it is because you'll be preaching that message you're a sinner in need of a savior your savior lives <laughs> And uh, you can you can be saved by faith, not not by working for it. You don't have to work for it. You just believe in Jesus, that He really did die on the cross for your sins, and you you understand that that death was the death you were supposed to die, and you don't have to die that anymore uh, as a punishment for your sin. He took it, and uh, He did that so you can be at peace, and that's real. So that that's that's a key balance, and then I just. For me personally, I have the conviction of just preaching what the Bible says and trying to help people understand every Sunday, here's what this text is saying. And if you do that, you'll be balanced because you'll stay focused on what the Bible is saying rather than trying to invent something creative or uh, giving the congregation, you know, something that I think is important. I just want to consistently be directed by the words and meaning of the passage itself. So if I really messed up and I'm, I'm coming to church and I'm really struggling with this particular sin, that doesn't, you know, mean that I can't come back to church. <laughs> no, not at all. Because we've got, we've had that grace. Yeah. And that's, and, and that grace is uh, inexhaustive, uh, inexhaustible. I don't know what the right word is there, but you can't, God doesn't run out of it. It's overflowing and it's there's no limit because it is who he is it's coming from his very character it's not something that he 
he gets from somewhere and then gives to you it it, it literally is grace the the that's coming from him and who he is and so you because god's eternal all those sorts of things you can't exhaust it you you, you won't ever run out of grace that's that's what the scriptures continually teach and uh i think that's what needs to be emphasized particularly what you have to know about your bible is uh i think the ability to make observations in the text itself uh and when you are able to do that which takes 10 minutes to learn it doesn't take a seminary degree i can teach someone how to make observations in scripture in 10 minutes if they know how to read mm -hmm. uh, and once you know how to do that then you can evaluate and you can you can keep the teacher in check a little bit because you're able to make observations on your own what i um i appreciate about you is that you you are very transparent on the pulpit about yourself i've never heard a pastor talk about his personal struggles and personal sin before i came to this church never mm. i mean you you talk about stuff that i've never heard anybody talk about on the pulpit you keep mm. the messages real and honest i find that to be refreshing and I, I wish that for everybody else that's that's looking for a church you're not perfect you have struggles yeah yeah i i mean i i just i think uh there's a conviction in me to be that way um because i want to make sure that uh, uh our church is a place of truth and shining light and uh if if i want you know the church to be that and uh, then I, w I need to lead the way in that. Uh, mm. Not just because I'm a leader, but because I'm a Christian, you know, <laughs> we just have to lead the way in transparency, no matter what our situation and context and role in the church is. And so we just have to, again, that goes back to just the fundamental preaching of the gospel. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And, uh, you know, I want to be a faithful preacher and proclaimer of that news. So you can go to Red Mountain Community Church if you want to listen to sermons. You want to join a Bible study. We have Bible studies on Zoom for men and for women or different groups to join. If you don't have a church home, that's a good place to start. Our next guest was on episode 38 and 39, two-part episode. Will Hess. Will has been a pastor. He was raised in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, which he has left. He is now an apologetics preacher. He has a podcast called The Church Split. Will could also get a side hustle as an auctioneer because he talks really fast when he's passionate about something. <laughs> We talked a lot about a bunch of stuff. We had so much fun. We, we're both sci-fi geeks. And we did talk about his abusive upbringing. 
spiritual abuse in the church, Bible translations, man-made standards, drinking alcohol, and how to avoid falling into false doctrine. We don't have to agree on doctrine with everybody. There is some room for grace and alternative views on some things. We need to get into the word ourselves and discover what the Bible says about important topics. So here is a, a clip on some of our conversation. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the IFB culture, IFB culture is what we would call uh, hyper-legalistic. They're very much on um, appearances. They're very big on uh, weird behaviors, right? Like music can't have drums. And if you do that, you're worldly and you're a sinner. If you dress a certain way, if you don't wear, if you wear jeans to church, uh, girls, if you don't wear uh, uh, skirts and dresses, you got a problem. So very, it is very appearance focused and appearance driven. And everyone showed up to church, put on their little church fat face, and they would act a certain way at church and act super holy. And basically what you feel like you just popped into um an old school church from Little House on the Prairie in the 1930s or something when you go into an IFB church a lot of times. Or the so Twilight was, Zone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You walked in and suddenly you went through this time vortex and you're like, I'm in the 1920s. Uh, and it's, it's a very weird uh, thing because each IFB is a little bit different than the other. And it's weird because here's what's funny. I was, I was raised IFB, but my family did not live it out at home. So we would go to the IFB church and we would put on the smiles. We put on the ties. My girl sister would put on her dress. Yeah. Act all pretty. And then, but on the, before we went to church, perhaps my parents got in a big fight, slapped each other around. I, one day before church, I distinctly remember my dad got angry um, at me and I started talking back because he was flying off the handle and he grabbed my throat and punched me in the face. Oh. Um, and then what do you do? Well, my parents had to go to teach Sunday school. So we had to go to church that morning oh and teach Sunday school. So I'm going to church. And what I'm experiencing is your appearance, your appearance, your appearance, your appearance. Um, you know, oh, you want to play an orchestra? Where's your tie today? Uh, every little thing, every possible mm -hmm. thing that could be nitpicked. I can't even possibly describe the amount of things that were nitpicked. And one day my mom finally got arrested for child abuse. And my youth mm -hmm. pastor and his wife just happened to show up probably about 15 minutes after the arrest took place. I helped the officers hold my mom down uh, as a handcuffer. I was about 14. Wow. And they showed up after I just finished handwriting my police report about my abusive mom. And my youth pastor was like, oh, my goodness, are you guys okay? And he left. And then they never followed up. The church went back to jumping down me and my brother's throat about our appearances and how we're behaving here and there. And I'm like, you know, what's going on at home and yeah. you're worried about my tie. You you're, or you're worried that we talk to a girl and you mm -hmm. know what's going on at home, but you're not doing your due diligence. Been married for eight years, got a beautiful daughter, Eliana, and I wouldn't change it for the world. My wife is literally the nicest person. I say this all the time. We've been married for eight years and we've never had a fight. Like me too. My husband and I have never had a fight. Check that out. It can happen. It, yeah. And no one believes me. I'm like, no, of course my I wife will sometimes, you. some people will, uh, like my wife will get annoyed with me from time to time. Like being annoyed isn't That's fighting. not a fight. Yeah. 
because you um, and I both came from an abusive background, so it's like, okay, I know what a fight is. You want to yes. fight, I'll give it to you, but we've taken so long to find each other. We can talk about it like adults. Yep, and that's exactly what it is. And if she's frustrated at the time, she'll just be like, I just need a process, and I'll talk to you about it later. And yeah. I, okay. Told her that I refuse to ever yell at her, scream at her, berate her. Berate her. Yep, my wife is. is my wife. She is my partner. She is uh, my best friend. And she deserves to be treated with dignity and respect and love from her husband. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it go the wrong way. So that both extremely busy and we still find time with each other all the time. Uh, and it's because we, we're, we're intentional. We, we actually like each other. So we try to, yes. we always find a way to spend time with each other. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that was a that was a good time. So I that didn't was, know that. So we have something else in common. That's so fun. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I did not know. You're the first person I've talked to ever that says the same thing. And um, my buddy Brian, uh, my co-host, is like, I think you guys just define fight differently because Will, mm -hmm. you've seen some crazy stuff. So you just defined it differently. You guys have had to have fought. I was like, just because plates didn't get thrown and pots weren't smashed does not mean. I was like, no, we literally don't fight. Like. No, My we wife don't. Has been... We don't argue. Like we don't raise. We don't raise our voice unless the house is on fire. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Which gives um, you a reason. We don't call each other names. We don't, you know, take low low shots to the belt. Um, mm -hmm. We we talk about the actual issue at hand. We're not passive aggressive. When my husband asks me what's wrong, I tell him what's wrong. And let's talk about it. Yep. It's you know, it's it's not that hard, but. People don't believe me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe you. I'm glad we're on the same boat. Uh, and it's not the fact that your mar our marriages are perfect. And I think that people get the wrong impression with that. So just know we, we deal with the disagreements in a healthy way. Um, so when did you decide to start the church split? That was after I had experienced um, some terrible division in the church. So because transitioning out, of the IFB was hard. When we were first married, and I, I, I skipped over this, transitioning out was tough because I knew I disagreed, but I didn't have a strong argument against it. And I realized I needed to be armed to the teeth to be able to fight against the bombastic responses because it's like a cult. As soon as you try to leave, they all try to slander you. Mm. So what I did is I systematically went through the issues, breaking down each one by bit, or is this what the Bible really says? What does the Bible actually say about this topic? All right, let me actually look at this within the context of the text and see if this says what they've been meaning it to say. Turned 18 and I was allowed to choose whatever church I wanted. I went to my cousin's church and they saw me with the living Bible. <laughs> my cousin's like, get, get, uh, get that heresy get, out of get here. To, I mean, you know, that's way on the left side. Okay. <laughs> that's like, that's not even oh, yeah. a literal translation. It's allegorical. And so I, um, I'm like, well, I like that Bible. You're like, well, this is a real Bible. And they handed me, you know, one of those $5 gift Bibles, mm -hmm. the King James Bible. And they're like, this is the real word of God. What you had over there isn't real. And I'm like, but I don't understand the King James. I don't like the, you know, old I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Yeah, yeah. But they, you know, made it clear that that's, that's the Bible that you, that you use. So, yeah, I got used to it. I went through Bible college with the King James and I memorized all my verses that way. I still think it's a great, a great version, but I, I use the ESV right now. 
I primarily um, use the ESP on the channel as well. Sometimes I'll do the CSB or HCSB. I, yeah. I have just discovered so many things that I never noticed in the King James just because of the language. Yep. It's like, or stuff that you'd skip over because you don't understand it. And yeah, I was taught how to study the Bible, but I fell for all this stuff with the king james onlyism until you did your series on king james only and i'm i cannot recommend it highly enough if you you know the listeners have come from you know a, a background like we have that oh this is the only bible you can read you know my stance now is what's important is get in the bible and start reading it okay <laughs> get in there and read it god will god will guide you and tell you Mm -hmm. but he wants you to learn and you start spirit. interacting with it and you'll it, you'll start connecting the dots yes if you don't and, understand it you're not going to read it yep <laughs> how can we guard ourselves from being brainwashed into false doctrines one never turn off your brain be the bereans the bereans compared everything with the scriptures and see if what they say actually lines up and then how do you spot legalism uh, one of the biggest things that people get mad about is when you say legalism, and if they are a legalist and they're trying to defend their legalism, they'll use one of the other definitions. There's two definitions of legalism. One is work-based salvation, right? So I can get there, I can get to heaven as long as I work hard enough. And that is the theological, technical definition of legalism. But there's also a second definition of legalism that is used for ecclesiology, like in the church, which is um, extreme adherence to a code or conduct here's the biggest thing to a spot legalism if what they and this is real simple if what they say it cannot be backed up in scripture it's not held for the church you're not held accountable to it you know don't steal don't murder don't lie be honest be loving don't be hard to one another don't be bitter don't be hateful these are things that are clear obvious sins that god has distinctly said he never said anything about TV or sci-fi. You know, that's like, what? Thank you, Will. <laughs> I got you. I got you. In fact, there's some weird stories in the Bible. I'm just here. You, oh, well, you have to dress with these particular dress standards. You have to wear a suit and a tie. These things are not things that God laid out. So don't let them control you and don't let them control your church. Be able to pull yourself back and go, okay, is this something God said or is this somebody? Is this a preference or an opinion? Mm -hmm. And I think when you start going from objective moral commands from God, because that's objective morality, then there's your opinion, and then there's an opinion of other people. And I'm not saying opinions are bad, but opinions should never take precedence over scripture, and they should never take precedence within your church. Is I would say, go back first off to the orthodoxy. What did early church fathers think? What did they say about these topics? What did the ancient Jewish rabbis say about these topics? Is try to always get into the cultural context of what that's being said. Always ask who, what, when, where, and why. Who's speaking? Who's it to? When was it? Where was it? Why was it? But I mean, this, and that's the thing is there's a reason why the Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God and a you know, workman that needs not to be ashamed of rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth is because it takes effort. So if you come across a confusing spot, don't instantly think it's the end of the world. Just go, oh, that's cool. And actually be excited. I get excited when I find weird, difficult things to interpret because it means that I'm now digging. Yeah. I am now, you know, that's, it's exciting. That's fun. Oh, it's, 
Yeah, like, oh, this is weird. It is weird. But seriously, if you guys want to connect, you have questions, feel free. It's okay to ask questions. The whole book of Habakkuk is literally him at questioning God. It's okay to yeah, ask questions. That's a great, great minor prophet. I think um, one of the things I also learned from your um, from your show is don't don't stay in your own bubble. You know, venture outside your bubble. I think you said it today in one of your podcasts I listened to was if you're always around people that agree with you and you don't explore the opposite arguments, then you're never going to grow. You're never going to be able to have a conversation because you don't know what the other guy believes. You can talk about it in, in a respectful way. And it's, you know, currently I consider myself like a paleo orthodoxy. I'm a Molinist in my view of God's knowledge and free will. If you know what that means, you're a nerd. Welcome to my community. <laughs> <laughs> if, if not, then come on by and find out. <laughs> yeah. Half the people just, just logged off of her. Yeah, that, don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. He has some merchandise on his store for, for sale. I don't believe he has any books yet. Okay, our next guest is from episode 19, Janelle Wood. She also has an apologetics podcast. She explores the questions and the doubts about our faith in the Lord. She has opened up her home to many exchange students all over the world. And she has brought meaningful conversations about Christianity with them. It's okay to have questions about God, but let's sit down and talk about these things. So here's what Janelle had to say about that. But I know, I know Jesus and he's the answer, right? Like that opens up conversations. It allows us to be honest about our brokenness, to not hide our stories because our stories are his story that he gets to shine his light in. Um, I, I mean, amazing things can happen. And yeah, some of us aren't going to be going around and, you know, being influencers on Instagram or changing the world through a million books, you know, that sell a million copies or whatever, but we're going to be the people that he called us to be here on earth. And I think that's all that matters you know, to be surrendered to him and say, Lord, I, I, I know I want to be all in. I just want to be all in. So we have a lot of listeners, of course, that have, you know, suffered all kinds of abuse and they're trying to recover from that. And they don't know where, where they stand with God. Mm -hmm. They either think I'm not worthy of God's love or I don't want anything to do with God because of what I went through. That's a hard place to be. Yeah. I never stopped believing in God. I, I questioned why. Why did you let me go through this? I knew he was there. I was definitely mad at him. <laughs> yeah. Definitely mad at, at God, but never stopped believing in him. You know, I think... First of all, nothing's hidden from the Lord. Um, you know, scripture talks about that, about how, uh, you know, we can go up to the highest mountains, we can go to the like darkest valley, and he's still there with us. And so if you're in that place right now where you are hurting and angry, um, I just want to encourage you that, first of all, God already knows, but uh, feel free to share with him. 
share with him where you're at because <laughs> um, he's close to the brokenhearted. And as Diana already shared, um, when Jesus was here on earth, uh, the people that were broken, the people that were hurting the most were the people that were drawn the most to Christ. Um, so I encourage you to start reading, read in John or Luke about how much the Lord loves you and how much he came, um, how much he loved you when he came and died for you. And um, I just think that when we read scripture and when we're honest with the Lord, um, man, things start to happen. And not only that, but then you start to realize as you're reading through the word, man, we, we have a God who has been through the worst kind of suffering, the worst kind of things that could happen, um, happened to him. You know, he was rejected by his own. Um, the people that, you know, claimed to know his father the best were the ones who plotted his death. Mm -hmm. You know, he came, I love how Max Lucado says he chose the nails. Um, he came at a time in history. Think about it. God could have come at any time in history. When did he come? He came when the worst kind of murder and crucifixion, um, you know, was available. He could have come now, you know, when there were, <laughs> oh, I don't yeah, that would have been great <laughs> injection or something humane, you know, what we consider humane, but no, he came and he chose the nails. He chose the cattails. He chose to be battered and bruised and totally destroyed. And why, you know, he bore the weight of that. So whatever pain and suffering you've been through, you're going through and you're thinking, man, I don't know if God knows what this is like, or why would he allow this? Or, um, you know, all these different things cry out to him uh, because he does know what it's like to be rejected. He does know what it's like to suffer. He does know what it's like to be in pain and agony and um, be rejected. And so I would just encourage you. There's also a great resource that, um, it's a book that I read by a guy named Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. That's yeah, I've read that one. It's excellent. Great book um, because it's real. You know, we're all going to go through times of disappointment with God. We're all going to go through valleys and, and mountains, you know, that's part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said earlier, the whole story of the Bible is a story of redemption and restoration. And um, there's something there's something good, right? There's something good to look forward to. Amen. And this isn't all there is. And so just want to encourage you that way. And her podcast is called Finding Something Real. And you can find that on JanelleMWood.com. She is not an author yet. But you can definitely support her podcast. Her next guest was from episode 14. Sandy Phillips Kirkham. And Sandy was a survivor of clergy abuse as a teenager by her youth pastor. She was groomed for many years and was violated. When it was exposed, she was kicked out of the church and her abuser got to keep serving in the church. I'll tell you, this story made my stomach churn, so it's a sickening story. Little trigger warning here. And she does talk about how she has healed after all of these years. Her book is Behind Me, Let Me Pray on You, which is excellent. 
here's a highlight from our conversation. Um, I babysat for his family. His wife worked evenings. Mm -hmm. So one night after he came home, he asked me to go to his basement and listen to a song by Neil Diamond. Well, I felt a little weird because I'd never been around a pastor that wanted to talk to me about anything but church and the Bible. But I went to the basement, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, a Neil Diamond song. So I, I went to Neil the basement. Diamond. I know. But that's a trigger factor for me sometimes. Um, so anyway, I went to the basement and he put this record on and I sat down on the couch and instead of sitting in a chair or another place, he came on the couch and sat very close to me. Mm. And I remember feeling uncomfortable, but I didn't say anything because I thought, well, he's just sitting next to me. It's no big deal. But that's a red flag that I felt because it felt uncomfortable to me. And then the other times that I would babysit for him, his wife wouldn't come home till late in the evening. So he would come home around seven or eight. And after the kids were in bed, instead of taking me home, he wanted me to sit and talk with him all evening. So we'd talk about the Bible or we'd talk about church. And sometimes he'd ask me what I thought of his sermon, which at age 16, I'm flattered that this man has any idea that I would have some opinion about this great sermon that he just gave. So I didn't see anything wrong with that because he's my pastor. But had that occurred with my 30-year-old neighbor down the street every time I went to babysit, I know I would have come home to my mother and said, okay, this is weird. Every mm -hmm. time I babysit, this man wants to sit and talk to me all evening. I mean, what interest would I have as a teenager wanting to talk to this 30-year-old married man? But because my pastor was who he was, and he tapped into our common connection of the church and God, and, and again, many times he would give me books to read because he wanted me to get better in my deep in my spirituality. So I, I didn't see anything wrong with it because of who he was. And so I just accepted that behavior, which is another tool and technique. They, they, they look for ways to, to get into you mm -hmm. that don't seem obvious, you know, and that was, so those were two red flags for me. Now, as far as the congregation goes, you know, I was in his office a lot by myself, but so were other kids because he would, he would, he would actually call us into his office and say, I want you to come in and tell me what's going on in your life. Talk to me about your problems. Instead of us going to him, he would encourage us to come into his office. So while that probably wasn't a good thing, no one saw it as a bad thing. Um, it seemed normal. But he called me into his office a lot more than the other kids. Um, and later on, there were people who did say to me, you know, there were times when I wondered why he said something to you like that, or I noticed something one time. And so I think people noticed some things, but no one thought enough of it to say, okay, there's something going on here that doesn't seem right. So, and just after he was arrived, he arrived at our church, a young woman from his first church came forward and accused him of sexual misconduct. When he was confronted by my elders, he didn't deny it. He said it was true. He asked for forgiveness, said it would never happen again. It was a mistake. So within six months, that's when he was kissing me in my hallway. So this, so these elders were aware that this was the second time that there had been an incident with this man of sexual abuse and misconduct. But in spite of that, they tried to keep it quiet in hopes of moving him to another church. And so I was told during that time where I was to sit 
how I was to respond to questions. I wasn't to talk to anyone. I wasn't to tell anyone about what had happened, including my parents. And this was all in an effort to keep it quiet. Well, that effort failed. And so it was determined that he should address the congregation. He did it in a very vague way, just simply said that he'd sinned, he'd sinned against God and he'd sinned against his wife. And that was his confession. That's it. Two days later, he had me meet him in a hotel room after that confession in front of the congregation. Now, he was moved to the next church. He was given a going away party. Um, there was actually a vote to maybe keep him, but the vote failed and they've decided to move him to the next church. About uh, two weeks, three weeks later, I was called in by the elders. And this is probably the hardest part of my story for me. Mm -hmm. I was called in by the elders and I was told that because of my behavior, I was to leave the church. I was devastated. I loved that church. It was the only church I knew. And here I was being told by these two elders that I wasn't fit to worship there any longer. Mm -hmm. He could be forgiven and given a second, third chance. I couldn't be. I was told that to leave the church. So I, I think we need to be aware. And then I would also say, watch for the vulnerable in your, among your church or your group. Watch for the kid that's got issues at home and, and is looking for a father figure. Be aware that they're going to be more susceptible to someone who's a predator and pay attention to their cues and kind of keep in touch with them as well in a sense of asking questions and how they're doing and be the kind of a person that they might feel comfortable coming to if something were to happen to them, because they're the ones that are going to be most vulnerable um, to a predator. So that's kind of, you know, an overview of what may be a help to try and stop and prevent some of this. All right. Pastor Mark Sowersby is our next guest who is on episode 11. His book is called Forgiving the Nightmare. He's a pastor of a church up in the Northeast. He talks about his child abuse raised by a mom who had her own abuse and struggles herself. He talks about his eating disorder, how he used food to deal with the pain from the trauma that he suffered. On top of that, he is dyslexic. It was a dark topic to talk about, but we had a great time and laughed a lot. <laughs> I had to do this interview on my phone because for some reason my Zoom wasn't working on my computer. And so sorry about the audio quality. I picked one of his drop the mic moments here. So you, you struggled with your weight for years. Was that a symptom of your, your abuse in your childhood? I believe it was. So? I, th I think it was, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist or, or a, a social worker. I'm, I'm a, I'm a preacher, but you know, I think what I was trying to find in food was comfort, friendship, uh, it always accepted me, you know, uh, it comforted me when I was uh, 
having a bad day and it rewarded me when I was having a good one. But like any drug, if you would, it lies to you. And it it says, hey, it's, everything will be okay. Just have a little bit more, have a little bit more. And you know, it just is, it, so for me, food became my drug of choice. Yeah. Uh, it became where I found comfort, found peace, found acceptance. I punished myself with it. Boy, I'm no good. I'm going to eat ice cream. Oh, I'm having a great day. I'm going to eat ice cream. So, you know, yeah. it was one of those things. Uh, what I tell people is that I wish I could say to you that, that God has taken away all the hurt, all the pain, all the sorrow. It's still there in my life. It's, it's still a familiar, familiar pain that continues to call to me. But what God did is he became bigger. He became bigger than the pain. He became bigger than the shame. He became bigger than the hurt. So is it still there? Sure. And the flesh wants to run to it. And, and the psyche wants to run to it because I know it. It's, it's comfortable. I, I know my role there. I, I I understand what my protection and my manipulation that I can find there. But God became bigger. So uh, what's the difference between being a victim and being victorious? Hallelujah. Well, in my, my humble opinion, a victim is somebody who always sees themselves broken, sees themselves in a way that, that, um, that allows them to stay in their victimhood. For a long time, my victimhood became my identity. I remember one day when the Lord brought me to the altar and he said those words to me. He said, Mark, I want you to give this up. And I literally said in an audible voice, Lord, if I'm not a victim, then what am I? Because all mm -hmm. I knew was the, the role of being a victim. Oh, my victimhood was good. I could manipulate with it. I could win every argument with it. Oh, when I was 16 years old, my mom, who was a single mom with not much money, uh, she bought me a car. I had a phone in my room. I had cable on my, on my own TV. She made me breakfast in bed. Why? She owed that to me. Why? Because mm. I was a victim. And I mm. got to see how I could win every argument. In school, I could put my head down. And people didn't, you know what? I could lift up my head and go, well, who here else was molested? I was. And no one would say anything. And the Lord rebuked me of that. And mm. said, that yeah, that's what victims do. At least that's what I did. He said, I want to make you victorious. And I remember him saying, me saying to the Lord, if I'm not a victim, what am I? And he said, you're victorious in me. I had to learn what it meant to be victorious. Amen. You know, I had to learn to let that facade go. Let that personality go. Let that old man die. And let the new man of Christ rise up beside me. Okay. Do you... Do you hear anything familiar from his conversation with me? You are no longer a victim. You are victorious. I say that after many of my podcasts. I encourage you to check out his, his book, ForgivingTheNightmare.com. Okay, so one of my most popular episodes was episode number 15. Dr. Wayne Stiles. Now, Wayne Stiles has served in full-time Christian ministry for almost 30 years, effectively using video, writing, teaching, and music to creatively communicate 
the life-changing truths of God's word. A veteran traveler to Israel, he has taught and written extensively on the devotional benefits of the Holy Land through his popular blog, his books, as well as in dozens of articles. Wayne earned his master's and doctoral degrees. He served in the pastorate for 14 years and as a nonprofit executive for 12 years. Wayne and his wife, Kathy, have helped lead many tours to numerous biblical sites in Israel, Jordan, Greece, Turkey, and Italy. Wayne's passion is to help connect the Bible and its lands to everyday life, showing the practical application of God's word. Wayne has these awesome videos to the Bible lands. So if you can't travel much right now, you can definitely travel virtually with his videos. He and his cameraman, Scott, can go in places that tours cannot go. And Wayne has a podcast called Live the Bible, which is him teaching his Sunday school class. It is really challenging to find a good Bible teacher these days, especially if you've been through any kind of abuse. Does God love me? Is the Bible real and applicable for my life? If you're not already, I highly recommend you follow Wayne's ministry. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but if I could only listen to one, it would be this one. Wayne's teachings always provide a balance. Dealing with our sin nature, but also reminding us of God's love and grace. Wayne is not afraid to tackle the challenging passages in the Bible. Now, one sign of a good Bible teacher is this. Someone that points you to Jesus. Someone that points you to the scriptures and gives you the tools to study God's word for yourself. Wayne's lessons always inspire me to dig deeper into God's word. He teaches the proper context for studying the scriptures, which is extremely important. This means providing the significance of cultural, geographical, and the original languages of the Bible. Now, we never want to put preachers or teachers up on a pedestal. As we've seen in the headlines, any spiritual leader can fall, but our faith will endure if our foundation is on God. Wayne is very transparent that he is a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness every day. If you ever have a preacher or a teacher with an air of superiority, run the other way. He's probably hiding something. Wayne tells some really funny stories. <laughs> he loses his temper and yells at the bad drivers on the road, just like we do. <laughs> his ministry has been such an encouragement to me. And I know that he will encourage you in your walk with Jesus. I've got two of his books behind me on the shelf, which is Going Places with God and Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus. I have Waiting on God on digital copy on my Kindle. 
He has a Grow Strong book on his website at waynestyles.com. That is where you can find all of his resources, his videos, his books, his podcast, his blog. During our conversation, we talked about Joseph's life of suffering and abuse. If you haven't studied Joseph before, I highly recommend it. Again, it was really hard to pick a clip from our conversation. I asked Wayne a difficult question, but I know that he can handle it. So listen to what Wayne has to say. Where was God during the times that I was in pain and being abused? How could a loving mm -hmm. God allow mm -hmm. such evil things to happen to me? Boy, that is a tough, tough question to answer. Uh, why questions are, are hard. Um, and the Bible doesn't give us uh, answers necessarily that, that uh, do a lot for us in the immediate emotion, but sometimes it gives us stories like Joseph. And if nothing else, it shows us that God gets it. He understands that, that the pain that we feel is real and uh, the Joseph story is, of course, one of the greatest uh, examples of that. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. They hated him. They sold him into slavery. And Joseph endured uh, temptation when he was down in Egypt. He endured uh, false accusation. He was imprisoned. And then, um, uh, but ultimately, I think, I guess maybe a, a, short, a short answer to your, to your question is, one of the things that happened in Joseph's life was the Lord gave him dreams. And this was a time before there was any scripture. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that the Lord would communicate to people would be through dreams on occasion. Not that every dream was a, a vision from God, but some of Joseph's were. And one of the dreams that the Lord gave Joseph was telling him that he would rule over his brothers and his father and mother at, at some point. Well, you know, a little naive Joseph tells his brothers this. And uh, of course they didn't like it. Nope. And so when one day they saw Joseph coming from a distance and they made the statement, <clears throat> now let's see, let's, let's kill him. And then let's see what becomes of his dreams. And it seems sort of a throwaway statement, but it's really the heart of Joseph's struggle and of our struggle, because there's what we expect from the Lord in fact, there's what God told Joseph, you're going to rule over your brothers. And then mm -hmm. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. And so Joseph's thinking, what's, I thought I was supposed to rule over my brothers. This isn't at all what God told me. This isn't at all what I expected from life. Mm -mm. So the challenge really for all of our lives is now let's see um, what will become of our dreams, not of our personal, you know, hopes and aspirations, but of when God promises something in his word and it doesn't seem to work out that way, the challenge is what are we going to do? Are we going to punt the Bible or are we going to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to wait on you because if you promise that it's going to happen, then it's just a matter of time. And this is ultimately what Joseph chose to do is to wait on God. And he had to wait like 22 years. Yeah, that's a long time. dreams come true. But it, I mean, our problem is really ultimately a problem with God. It's not a, it's not a problem with our, our, with people who have hurt us. 
uh, ultimately it's with God. I mean, people who have heard us, obviously there's a problem there too, but our challenge is, um, you know, God could have stopped it and he didn't, God could have stepped in and he didn't. And we, um, we think, well, stepped in in the sense that we think he should. I'm trying to think what Psalm it is. I think it's, uh, Psalm 13. I think it's Psalm 13 that says, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? Mm-hmm. And I love that question because yeah. we we ask that question. And it's right there in the Bible. So God knows we feel that way. And he's, he's, he's basically saying, look, the way it is now is not the way it's always going to be. Just trust me. Keep going. And one day you'll be able to look back. You'll be able to have my perspective. And uh, you'll be able to see then what I see now. But boy, that's tough. We have a musical guest up for you next. Episode 22 is Andrea Sandifer. She's a musician. She lives in Alaska and was our first musical guest. Uh, To be fair, a lot of my musical friends just haven't been able to line up our schedules to come on the podcast. I hope to have more musical guests on the show this coming year. But we talked about a lot of things, her beautiful music, life in Alaska, sad, which is, which is seasonal affective disorder, her church ministry, Now, we plan on writing some music together here next year. This clip that I have chosen is a story that she told about falling through the ice and how she dealt with the aftermath. So her beautiful music is on her website at andreasandifer.com. I will purchase a download of your favorite music if you share her episode and tell me what your takeaway is from her episode. How has music been a healing part of your life? Uh, Yeah, I have found that music communicates truth deeper into my heart than mere words ever can. Uh, There's something about singing something over yourself or over others that it sticks with us more or it it has a way to just dig deeper into the the pain and the hurt um and i thought you know to kind of explain what i mean and maybe an example i thought i might share a story yes um from a traumatic experience i went through almost a couple years ago um so my family and i were out uh navigating some of the swamplands in alaska Uh, near our family cabin um, during the season we call breakup, Mm -hmm. which is when all the snow and ice starts to dwindle in the spring and almost becomes brittle and kind of rotten. Well, that day we were, we were riding in our eight wheel rig called an Argo and we fell through some thin ice and uh, it was, it was totally hidden. The surface of the ice kind of matched the surface of the snow. So you couldn't Mm -hmm. tell where everything was. And, um, but only the right side of the Argo uh, went in to the ice because the other side was 
kind of stuck up on land. So we were kind of tilting into the, into the water. Um, so to help my husband get the rig out, we sent my kids on to the left toward their grandparents who were in another rig across what we thought was land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I followed along the exact same path uh, to let weight out of that rig to make it easier um, to get it unstuck. Well, I found another soft spot in the rotten oh. ice and I fell through. Oh, no. Yeah. And I should say that I I had been struggling quite a bit with trusting God during that season. Um, I had lost a dear friend mm. a few months prior. She passed away suddenly and without cause. She was only 38. Um, and that it absolutely rocked my faith. Um mm. I was having a really, really hard time believing that God was good Hmm. uh, and that he truly had good for his people. Um, So that day he reached out to me through that situation. Um, I went in uh, up to my shoulders, uh, having caught myself by my arms, um, but I never, and I never felt bottom. So it was, it could have been really bad, Um, but I was, I was calm. Um, I could hear my family uh, and especially my kids panicking and crying out. And, uh, you know, honestly, in my state of calm, uh, I recalled a, a hilariously silly uh, YouTube video um, that I had watched showing what to do in that situation. It's so funny what comes to mind when you're, you know, in a traumatic experience sometimes. But I'm so thankful for that because I knew what to do. You know, we we've always wanted to be as prepared as possible um, adventuring in Alaska because things can change in an instant like that. um, And you need to be ready. Uh, I was able to get out safely and make it to solid ground without uh, further mishap. But um, afterward, uh, after, you know, we were, we were safe. We were in the truck again. I was getting warmed up. Um, the trauma of that moment really started to set in. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I started to think about what could have happened. Like my, had my children fallen through the same spot ahead of me, you know, the enemy really Mm. tried to deepen my doubt that I was already in of God's love and care. Um, so I, I knew enough, you know, I, I needed help. So I turned, I turned to scripture. I tried to dig in and really find solid ground <laughs> to, um, to turn to. And I, I found um, some words. Uh, it's, it's Isaiah 43 uh, verses one through five um, that really ministered to my heart. And I thought I'd read, so kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but that reads, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, fear not for I'm with you. I was just listening to that song before. Oh, 
good. Yeah. I love it. I love it too. And I was, I was so comforted by those verses that I, I had to capture them in song. I, I needed something really comforting. Like I said, like I could, I could read those words over and over. I could say them out loud, but there's something transformative when you set them to a melody. And, and if like, whenever I would start to feel afraid again, um, or like if my children, like my daughter really struggled after that for a while, just the fear, I would sing it over her. And it was, it was such a comfort and it still brings me comfort every single time that I do uh, spend time with it. All right. Episode 29, we had Kelly Palfi. Dr. Kelly is the author of Men Too. Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. I have it on my shelf behind me. She is an expert on male childhood sexual abuse. She is a psychologist and one of the few resources for males in healing for male sexual violence. The stories in this book are so heartbreaking. And no one is talking about it. I used to think that male sexual abuse was very rare. Now, that is, that is not the case. It was unreported, but it was still happening. So I chose this story that Dr. Kelly talks about, about a story of a hockey player that was abused. So listen to what she has to say here. It's encouraging to have a, a fellow female advocate for male sexual abuse survivors. There's so few resources out there for men. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to write about uh, this topic, write a book about it? Well, it's, it's actually a bit of a story. It's kind of my journey. Um, it started, I, like I mentioned, I was, sorry, I was an RCMP officer for 13 and a half years. And for the better part of the last five years, I worked in a unit called the Integrated Child Sexual Exploitation Unit, which was part of the Behavioral Sciences Unit. And um, we originally formed this unit in response to um, a plethora of cases that were presented to us from the Americans. Um, the U.S. Postal Service had uh, noticed a bunch of suspicious packages. They did a joint investigation with the Department of Homeland Security and they found that the packages contained illicit images of children that had been purchased via credit card. Mm. So, um, yeah, and so they figured out that a lot of these offenders had addresses in Canada. So they, I want to say they sent us about 350 known of people, known offenders that were purchasing child pornographic images. So our unit was established to respond to that. Uh, we began investigating these cases. And this was in 2002, 2003 which was when Canada passed legislation saying that um, any Canadian that traveled abroad for the purposes of um, exploiting a child could be charged as if they were in Canada. So we were getting some evidence of that as well um, and other crimes, obviously. Um, So we we began investigating that and in the process of uh, the training that I uh, was subject to, they were training me to be a subject matter expert I sat in on a lecture from Sheldon Kennedy, who is a former pro hockey player. And he discussed the abuse that he endured by his coach. And um, 
So uh, he talked about the reasons why he didn't talk about his abuse. Things like he'd grown up in poverty and um, his pro hockey career was literally lifting his family out of poverty. Um, his parents and everybody were so proud of him. Um, he knew he had the skill set to make it pro, but he, you know, also kind of relied on his coach to get him there. So um, all of these things were, were reasons why he didn't disclose. So he was talking about, you know, his parents were super proud of him and he didn't want to disappoint them. And then he also talked about um, just just feeling like other parents, like his teammates' parents knew about it, but did nothing, you know, because they didn't want to like risk their own children not making it to the big leagues. So um, that really broke my heart to mm -hmm. think that people might know that this was going on and do nothing. And he talked about um, like the process of, he said, he described it as being like living a double life. He said, you know, on one hand, I'm in this pro hockey player. I'm like, everybody's, you know, hockey icon. And then on the other hand, he was being sexually abused. So um, ironically, I kind of related to that small piece of it, the double life part, because mm -hmm. I was working in major crimes at the time, on the, at the top of my career game in my own mind. And I was also being bullied. So, I, you know, I mean, I would at work pretend to be confident and do my job and then go home and bawl my eyes out all the time, right? Like, I was living a double life for sure. So um, there was that piece that, you know, really made me kind of just take notice, honestly. And fast forward, I lost my career to bullying. And um, honestly, it's what brought me to my knees in the first instance, right? Because I really wanted something to be passionate about career-wise. And I was say it's like God reminded me of this lecture that I'd been to and how it had broke my heart and how, you know, this awareness that there was just so few resources for men out there. And I, like I was, you know, I lost my career to bullying, right? So I was, I was clinically depressed and it was like, you know, thinking that I could make a difference in this area, just like just a little light turned on inside of me. And the more I fed that, the more the light lit up, right? So I just pursued it. And when I, you know, I went back to school, I was doing my master's when, when I ended up, I was already doing my master's when I left my policing career. I originally wanted to be a criminal profiler. So I had started my master's and when my career fell apart, I was like, okay, well maybe I'll be a psychologist. <laughs> Never intended to be. Um, but I just decided to do my doctoral research investigating you know to see if there were more reasons that other boys and men had about you know why they didn't come forward like you know intending to hopefully shine some light in this area and to and to you know create more discussions and awareness and just resources for male survivors so you can get her book her website is kellypalfy.com okay our guest pastor jimmy hinton was on episode 26 and 27, two-part episode. His book is right above my head on the shelf behind me, The Devil Inside. I think this was the second most popular podcast guest from my Blueberry Stats. Jimmy is a pastor in Pennsylvania. He is the foremost expert on childhood sexual abuse in the church. He is passionate about protecting children from pedophiles in our communities. So his new book, The Devil Inside, he talks about turning his dad in for sexually abusing his own children 
as well as many children in his church. His father is serving life in prison right now. Jimmy will come to your church, school, organization, and train you on how to protect your children. So this two-part series, it was so hard to pick a clip. He's just amazing. He has his podcast with his mom, Clara, called Speaking Out on Sex Abuse, and it's really excellent. So I spliced together a lot of different clips because I couldn't make up my mind. So, so here we go. Listen to what Jimmy has to say. And my dad talked about this. He wrote about it in letters in very, um, very methodical detail, you know, step by step. And, and as he writes about it, he's not only talking about what he's doing, but he's also talking about what the parent's thinking and seeing or not seeing and what the child is thinking and feeling. So there's this hyper-awareness of what's going on from the perspective of the abuser. They know exactly what the intended uh, target is, what the intended thought process is, what the likely thought process is, um, and they know that it's torturesome for the child. And they know the child, the abuser knows that the child is thinking in their mind, why is mommy, mommy or mommy and daddy seeing this and they're not doing anything about it? Mm, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And that's both part of the thrill for the abuser. And it's what guarantees the silence of the child without them ever having to threaten the child. Yeah, you say they, the thrill, it thrills the abuser. They, they get off on this. Absolutely. Tricking people and yeah. almost quote unquote getting caught. Yeah. And my dad actually, it, it's interesting you use that word because my dad talks about getting caught because I asked him, you know, I asked him in a letter, what, aren't you afraid of getting caught? And his answer is, um, he didn't say it in exactly these words, but it, but it was, you know, pretty close. But he said, oh, we actually welcome getting caught. He's like, because if we get mm -hmm. caught, you know, one, the, the person can't prove that we did anything wrong. And he explains, he goes through all the processes of, you know, what they're doing and all the techniques. He was like, they can't prove that we did anything wrong. So he said, the only thing it does when we get caught is it emboldens us to practice more, um, more rehearsed things and to get more brazen in the way that we abuse that child. I have people come back to me, you know, I've consulted with churches before. And that's why I have that chapter on um, the theology behind it. And, um, starting with God's foundation of, of righteousness and justice. You know, that word for righteousness means balanced scales. Uh, God's very foundation, without realizing that people are doing it, they're tipping the scales for the abuser. They're placing their finger literally, quite literally, they're placing their finger on the scale of justice in favor of the abuser by saying things like, well, it couldn't be him. I, I've known him my whole life. Or We're she's best making friends. It up. Yeah, uh, they're they're the pillar of the community. You know, you hear all these statements that tip the scale in favor of the abuser. And at the end of the day, um, again, I think this was just common sense for me. Nothing about my relationship with my father mattered in that moment. Mm -mm. Uh, what mattered were the facts that were presented before me. That was it. You go down to the police station. 
Uh, so what happens when you go down to the police station? What happens after that? Yeah, so at the police station, um, the, the detective um, I'm actually good friends with, turns out she's the sex crimes detective in our town, and she's really good at what she does. Um, and I remember she told, she told my mom and I when we were in the police station, she said, I'm just going to brace you now. Um, she said, when I, when I call your dad in, there are going to be a lot of victims. And that, that shocked me, you know, of course now it's, I expect it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was in a little bit of denial with that, but I, but I trusted her enough, um, to really believe that, you know, cause we kept trying to be a little bit sympathetic toward my, my dad and, you know, he's a really nice guy and she kept stopping us and she's like, you guys don't need to have any sympathy for him. She's like, he's a disgusting child rapist. Mm. She's like, I'm telling you, there are going to be a lot of victims. You guys really need to mentally brace yourself for what you're about to find out. Um, she was 100% right. She called him in for questioning. And she called me up um, as soon as he left the police station. And she was she was audibly shaken up. And this is a woman who investigates sex crimes every single day. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, Jimmy, it's really bad. And she's like, in the 30 years or what, however long she's been doing this, um, she said, this is quite possibly going to be the worst case that I've ever had. Just a couple of days before he was arrested, we went out for coffee and that's when he started naming names and he rattled off. I mean, just very nonchalantly. He said, oh, by the way, just so that you know what you're dealing with when I get canned, here are the names of my victims. He said it just like that. that just... And then he just starts rattling them off. And I sat there in utter shock. Mm -hmm. And every name, every single name that he mentioned was, it, it, I, I saw a face with it. Mm. You know? And it's these, these little kids. And, and then he started naming... Um, little kids that were in my church that were still little kids. He abused them up to the time of his arrest. Mm. And you're and in a was... diner, you know, and eating soup or something, right? Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I, if I would have been able to control myself, yeah. put my arms around and put my hands around his throat or something. Oh, I was tempted. <laughs> yeah. The thought crossed my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know how you didn't. Yeah. But that was the part, you know, like that was my my next worst fear because it's like living in this constant nightmare that never ends and you're awake. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, how could this possibly get worse? This really crystal clear picture that emerges from scripture that's rooted in God's foundation of righteousness and justice. This balance, these balance scales um, and this picture of justice. And that is you should be able to recognize very easily who deceptive people are and to keep them away from innocent people. That's the most boiled down, simple, repetitive message that you find through the Bible, cover to cover. Find out who the deceptive people are, not the people who struggle with temptation. We're not talking about those people. Um, the Bible has a very clear distinction where it separates out people who are wolves. They are people who masquerade as people of righteousness for the very purpose of stealing souls away. 
They dress mm-hmm. like sheep. They walk like sheep. They bow like sheep. Um, but they're inwardly ravenous wolves. And, uh, you know, I talk about that in the book too. Like Jesus uses that language not to describe what they do, but who they are. Mm-hmm. It's an identity marker. It's not a behavioral marker. It's an identity. Uh, what does Paul call them? Um, imposters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that language is used, the message unanimously in scripture is avoid such people, have nothing to do with these people. It's not talking about worldly people who are not Christians. It's talking about people who bear the name of Christ, who are masquerading and oppressing and devouring other people, have nothing to do with them. Paul says in um, 2 Timothy 2.13, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter um, chapter 2 or 3, um, I think is one of the clearest pictures of deceptive people in all of the Bible. Uh, it's so crystal clear. Um, and it just gives this progression of, you know, they're, they're vile. They do these things in plain sight. They're, um, uh, they, they pretend, they masquerade, they're imposters, they deceive. And then at the end of that, he says, um, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yeah. Uh, but it's the self lies. You know, they tell themselves, mm-hmm. you know, the child was coming on to me. Well, they know full well that that child was not was not coming on to them, uh, but they're self-deceived, hoping that other people will will buy into it. So again, the Bible is pretty clear. Have nothing to do with these people. They're warped in their twist. So you know, a sociopath might have a tinge of a conscience, but they'll override it. Where the psychopath, they have no conscience, and in fact, their pleasure centers light up like a Christmas tree when mm. they know that the kid is being tortured. Oh, and so I, I mean, my opinion is that these kind of people cannot be rehabilitated. They cannot be brought back into society and especially not back into church. Yeah. Yeah. How are the churches enabling these pedophiles to continue to abuse children? Yeah. uh, Off the top of my head, number one, letting them in. Uh, Number two, right. Number two, giving them anonymity. Um circumventing the law, circumventing the sex offender registry by keeping it a secret from your church. That is the most insane, asinine policy that I've ever seen, and it's incredibly common. And churches have sent me – I've had church leader after church leader after church leader. I have a whole file folder of these covenant agreements between the church leaders and the registered sex offenders where they keep it a secret from the church. Um, and they, they assign the babysitters. I call them babysitters because it's just <laughs> – to me, it's so ridiculous. The registered sex offender has to check in with them or sit beside them at, at church. That does nothing where these guys come in. I had a prison psychologist sit with me, and I mean she was really blunt um, and used a lot of um, colorful language. <laughs> she, incredible person gave me her time which to describe what these guys are doing in, in their prison cells. These guys are doing this um, where they're creating graphic child images, exploitation. Uh, they'll create these images by uh, – she calls it old school Photoshop where they cut magazines apart in prison. These guys are doing this. She's like, if they're doing that in prison where they're monitored and they know it's going to be confiscated as soon as they create it, 
She looked me right in the eye. She goes, what in the H do you think they're doing when they're coming into the churches when they leave this prison? Wow. His website, jimmyhinton.org. Got to listen to his podcast. Got to get his book. If you've got kids, they're in church ministry. It's important. Okay, so the last guest I'm going to feature today was from episode 16, Dr. Stephen Tracy. This was the highest rated podcast I had this year. The most downloads, and you will see why. Listen to this one. He will bless you so much. He is the founder of Mending the Soul. And you hear me talk about Mending the Soul all the time. I am very passionate about it for a reason. Now, again, I don't make a dime for Mending the Soul. In fact, I give them money. Dr. Tracy is a theology and ethics professor here in Arizona. And his wife, Celestia, is a trauma counselor. They created the curriculums and the ministry that we have today all over the world. He gives us hope for severe abuse and trauma. And his books, the book um, here, Mending the Soul, that's the textbook. And then there's also the workbook. But there are also other books, Princess Lost, Princess Found. The Vulnerable Child, I believe another marriage book. He also has Healed by His Wounds. That is the Africa version. They're also coming out with curriculums for our Native American population. Um, and his books are translated into many languages as well. So... The clip that I chose today for Dr. Tracy is him telling a story of a survivor in the Congo who was transformed after going through Mending the Soul. Here's Dr. Tracy. Congo is second largest country uh, on the continent. It's been called uh, by the UN the rape epicenter of the world. Um, and you really can't fathom the, the magnitude mm -hmm. of trauma. It's all really for the last uh, 25 plus years um, they, they've known is civil war and anarchy. There's, a, there's not a civil war than now currently, but in the East there's just constant militia attacks. Um, so that, that's all they know. Um, and that's what, <laughs> draws me there is the needs are just some of the greatest in the world and we have met some of god's most precious chosen faithful servants and i will crawl on my hands and knees to get there um, to serve them they, they mean that much to me and uh, just lost and they know that they know that so yeah wow. we've seen god just do a truly truly miraculous no human explanation for what we've seen um the darker it is the more the light shines and wow yeah you 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 see the full vintage both of what satan 
tries to do by way of destruction. Um, probably 90% of what I see in here there, I don't share here. It wouldn't even be appropriate. It's really horrible. It is beyond, yeah, it, beyond it's the, horrible. Yeah, the torture rapes, the cannibalizations, the whole nine yards. Um, but and at they, the same time, in in that place of just outlandish evil and suffering, God is at work um, in amazing ways. And we train people and they just run with it. They're so hungry. Um, that really inspires us um, to, to pray, to be faithful ourselves in our own context. So while it's hard and, and painful, we come back um, just with a renewed sense of the power of God to heal the worst of the worst. I am not afraid of any kind of story now. I, I, they, they can still traumatize me, but you know, when you've seen wow. what God can do in the worst of the worst, you, you're, it really helps take away the maybe reticence to, to walk into hard, hard places. Cause you realize, you know what, what it says here about the power of God that is true and I've seen it. Um, there yeah. is nothing too difficult for God. I would love for you to tell that story that you put in the newsletter. Yeah, I'll try to get through it. Oh. <laughs> but, um, uh, we'd done a couple of weeks of training and they said, we want to take you, I think it was a Saturday, um, to this ministry to abuse survivors. Turned out they had had no outside visitors in 10 years. I mean, including Congolese visitors. Um, wow. and it was a little ministry of the mentally ill, uh, run by a woman named Mama Abia, um, with just incredible faith and boldness for Christ, vast majority of whom were mentally ill because of trauma. The rebels, they had a few psychopharmaceutical me uh, medicines, and the rebels would routinely come and steal everything they could and threaten them, and, and she just stayed, I mean, literally putting her life on the line for these uh, wounded people. Mm. Young woman named Abia couldn't talk. She was catatonic, had been um, raped by uh, a soldier or soldiers, and uh, her family had rejected her because of the shame. And that was very cultural. Um, and she'd gotten to a point where she couldn't care for herself. She, I mean, she, she was failing to thrive, couldn't even feed herself. Mm. And um, she couldn't communicate whatsoever, and it was so painful seeing her and hearing her story. She didn't really know we were even in the room. Someone took a picture, and we prayed for her the come following year, and I can't begin to count the tears I shed. Went back a year later, because we make long-term commitments um, to our partners. Someone had the picture, because, <laughs> I mean, it was that important to us to pray for this woman. And we showed her the picture, and through the translator, asked how that young woman was doing and she literally began to jump up and down uh, mama bia's was incredibly uh zealous and joyful and she said in, in swahili uh, that that's nema nema which i now know means grace and we you know we asked how she was doing and she told us this incredible story of healing several months after we'd left said she was doing so well and been able to go home and so I think it was two days later, here's Mama Bia with this young woman, and we didn't recognize her. Um, we literally thought she was a middle-aged woman, and turned out she was about 21. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I have a before and after picture, 
and we actually have it in our by his wounds africa curriculum and, and you're just looking at a miracle i mean yes. you're, you're looking at a miracle and again it's it, those are the scenarios where i say the worst of the worst is not beyond the power of god wow that was a fantastic show today it was really fun listening to all these podcasts again, listening to our guests once again. Yes, I listen to my own podcast. These guests are that good. We have more fantastic guest highlights to feature next week. So be sure to come back. Please don't forget to share these episodes of your favorite guests let them know that they've been a blessing to you so share you can share this episode of the anniversary or the individual episodes from their full-length conversation and you will get a choice of book from your favorite guest or music selection so the show notes are going to be really long today and we'll have a link for each podcast episode for these guests and then their website. So thank you again for listening to the podcast being part of my first year. It's going to be even better next year. I don't know how we're going to top this year, but I'm going to sure try. <laughs> so we'll see you next week. And again, you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.